Well, good morning. Um, I want to start out this morning with a message. I'm going to ask a question of you and kind of get you talking a little bit. It's okay to talk in church, so don't feel all shy or bashful or that kind of thing. But uh, I'd like you to just sort of put on your evaluation hats for a second. Just say, okay, we're going to talk the big C church here for a minute. The church across America, the church across Illinois, maybe we'll zero in on that and say, how do you feel like the church is doing these days? Do you feel like it's going gangbusters? Things are going great. The mission is moving forward. Things are catapulting. Do you, it's like it's like revival out there kind of stuff uh, or, or you know, kind of a one to 10 kind of scale or one saying, you know, we're kind of not doing that great kind of thing or anywhere in between. One why don't you take just a minute and, and turn to a person or two or three around you and talk about your answer. How do you think the church, the big C church is doing in Illinois right now? And then, and then also, do you think that this area, Tazewell, Peoria counties, do you feel like we're above average or below average for the, for the state? Okay, go ahead, take like 30 seconds, talk to people around you, go. All right, all right, bring it back. Well, give me some of your answers. How do, you, how do you feel like we're doing? The church in Illinois, how do you feel like we're doing? One to 10. Five doesn't count, you gotta lean one way or the other. <laughs> okay, 4.93, okay, a little bit on the negative half, okay. Okay, what else? Some other answers. Huh? Don't be, oh, they're getting all shy now. Oh, don't, don't make eye contact. Six, okay. Four, okay. Sure, sure. Okay, so there's people there, whether or not it's it's fl- they're flourishing or whatever, we don't know. Okay, fair enough. Let me let me share you some stats and some data because I, I do think this is interesting. And, and, and by the way, when we talk about the church in, in this sense, who are we talking about? Are we talking about buildings? Are we talking about members? Not necessarily. We're talking about who? Christ followers, right? People. We're talking about us. And so to some degree, as we talk about how the church is doing, we have to own some of the responsibility of that, right? By the way, I, did, I didn't touch base on how do, you, do we feel like Peoria and Tazewell counties, are they above or below, you think, Illinois in general? Above, you think? Okay, interesting. Let me, let me share with you some stats and some data and some things. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean it like that. Oh, interesting. Hmm. No, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> no, no. I just, that's, that's an interesting thing. Uh, Anyway, I'm just, sorry. <laughs> Let me share with you some data, okay? So this is some stuff that uh, I have been wrestling with. Some of it is new to me. Some of it um, is stuff I've been wrestling with for the last 10 or 15 years. Fascinating. There's uh, The week of Easter, there was an article by Ed Stetzer, who's sort of a, a pollster, a denominational leader, um, missiologist, that kind of stuff. He published an article in the uh, Washington Post and the headline, this is the week of Easter, his headline was, if it doesn't stem its decline, mainline Protestantism has just 23 Easter's left in America. That's what, that's what his headline was. And he went on to, to talk about, you know, of course, are there pockets of Protestant, you know, mainline kind of churches that are doing well? And when he talks about mainline Protestant churches, he's talking about denominational kind of stuff mostly, right? Like, like Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, like he's talking about the main kind of, that, that kind of a thing. And he went on to, show, to share data from all different kinds of stuff. This is one uh, that was interesting. The, the solid line shows people that would have affinity to, that would say, hey, I belong to, I'm a part of, I'm a whatever. 
of a mainline Protestant church. The dashed line shows um, those that are actually in church. <laughs> I mean, those that actually go, that are there, uh, and regular attenders. And so you can kind of see uh, from the 1970s, it shows like maybe 30% of Americans almost were saying, oh yeah, I'm a part of a mainline Protestant church, down to about 10% now, so it's a 20% decline in about 45 years, something like that. Uh, and then you can see percentage of actually people that are in church, 8.5% down to 2.7%. He's like, if, this, if the trajectory continues, it will go straight into the ground uh, in the next 23 years. Now, again, he goes on to say, of course, I don't, this isn't gloom and doom. There are pockets of churches that are growing. There are pockets of movements that are, that are growing. He's like, this is just the trend for mainline Protestant denominations in America. Well, let's zero in a little bit more to Illinois. Um, I've shared this with you one other time. Uh, there's some awesome data that's out there that's been collected about actual people that are in the pews, not just polling people and saying, are you a church-going person, but actually saying taking attendance numbers and tracking that. And uh, as of 2010, uh, they're still working on putting the numbers together for 2015, but as of 2010, only 18% of the population of Illinois, 18.3% was in any Christian church on a given weekend. And that's in the broadest context. They were just inside a church, could be you know, Catholic, mainline, church plant, you know, non-denominational, whatever, 18% was in any Christian church, a number that seems to be declining by about somewhere between 1% and 3% each decade. It goes down and down and down. I'd expect the 2015 numbers to be more like 17%, something like that. Um, fascinating. By 2050, they're predicting that we will be, as a country, we will be in single digits, which is similar to that of Western Europe, right? Single digits of the as a percentage of the population of people that are actually in a Christian church. We're not even talking about, to your point, we're not even talking about those that are actually following Jesus instead of just going to church. We're just talking about kind of the bare minimum of they're just showing up sometimes, right, in church. Single digits, uh, and that kind of thing. Peoria and Tazewell counties, uh, by the way, they, they break this down by county as well, are no different. They would say about 80% to 82%, something like that, of uh, Peoria and Tazewell counties are in, uh, did I say the positive or negative? 18% are actually in church. 82% are not uh, in church um, on any given weekend. And again, seems to be on the decline. Now, now, the thing that's a little fooling to us, I mean, when we first moved here, people were like, oh yeah, this is like a great place spiritually. Like, they're like, why are you, are you just here to kind of get on board with what, what God's already doing? And I'm kind of like, okay, well, that's cool. But I think sometimes we have several hundred thousand people that live in this region. I think sometimes we get, we get uh, blindsided just by the, the vastness of numbers. Because if, if 30,000 people are going to church, we're like, wow. I mean, this is like, we got some big churches, good things are happening. But the reality is that that's less than 10% of the actual population of the, what they call the Peoria, the statistical Peoria metro area. It's right, basically Tazewell and Peoria counties. So 10% is not that great. And even if another 30 or 40 or 50,000 are, uh, are attending sometimes, that still leaves hundreds of thousands of people. Statistically, 260,000 people in our area aren't in any Christian church today. 260,000 people. You believe that? Now, again, uh, is God doing some great stuff? Are we experiencing pockets and some, you know, some bright spots, some success? Are we seeing some people coming to know Jesus? Yes, there's some great stuff happening. God is, of course, at work. I'm, this is not a gloom and doom message. But the question that I find myself wrestling with, and to be honest, one of the reasons that we felt compelled to start another church 
was because we're like, man, we got to do something. We can't just stand here and watch these things, these numbers happen when each one of those percentage points represents people, people that matter to us, people that matter to God, people that Christ died for. It's a big deal. There's a mission that Jesus has called us to and, and we can't forget about. Even out of those that do know Christ, you know what the stats say? Only 1.8, which, who's the point eight? I don't know, but anyway, only 1.8 out of 100 has, have ever in their entire life shared about Jesus with a, with a friend that doesn't know Christ. One to two out of 100 let me show you one more trend that has been kind of shown um, statistically from different studies and stuff. This is my fancy dancy um, <laughs> representation of the data. Everybody say, ooh. Yeah, it's, I'm quite the artist. Anyway, uh, but, but this is something that I, I think is troubling and, and something that the, the uh, statistics would bear out is if, if, we, if we were to draw a timeline on here, and this is, represents the amount of time that you're a Christian, right? I put a cross at the top, rep- represents a moment when maybe you have opened up your heart or life to Christ and you have received his grace and, and you have stepped into a relationship with him and you've been forgiven and he has made you new and your life has been transformed from that moment forward statistically the longer that you walk with Christ the more years the more decades that you walk with Christ the fewer Christ followers you know the less often you share your faith until I mean until you get to the point where a minute before you take your last breath you're at your evangelistic low point You're the least effective at sharing your faith. You have the least relationship with people outside the family of God that maybe don't know about the hope and the life, right? And the joy, everything else that's available because of Jesus. When you you die, you're at your absolute low in terms of impact. Does does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? I hear, do you hear me? You with me? Make sense? I hear that and part of me kind of breaks on the inside. I think, Isn't that the opposite of how it should be? If I'm walking with Christ and I'm growing and and if the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, if I'm stepping into and discovering and learning more about the great love of God, if if my heart for him is constantly expanding, if my love for people is growing, shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't it be that every, that the, every day I live, I love them a little bit more? I'm, I'm more consumed with the love of God. I'm more passionate about other people knowing. Shouldn't it be that as I grow older and I gain some perspective, shouldn't it be that I even more so want to see people come to know Jesus? You with me? I hear that and I just, I'm like, man, something is wrong with this picture. It's like we've forgotten why we're here. It's like we've forgotten the mission that Christ has given us. It seems like the opposite should be true. So my question for you and for me this morning is, are we okay with these kinds of realities? Are we okay thinking of our kids and our grandkids one day growing up in a tough and dry spiritual climate where less than one out of 10 even goes to church, much less as a Christ follower? Is that the kind of legacy that we want to leave behind? From my perspective, if these stats aren't messing with us a little bit, if we don't read, you know, read those headlines uh, like the one I shared on, on Easter uh, and it doesn't wrestle with us a little bit, if, if we're not looking at that map and saying, man, something's wrong, if we don't feel a, a, to some degree a compel to action, right, something driving us forward back into the mission, if they're not, if they're not bothering us a little bit, then I think we're doing it wrong then I'm not so sure 
that we're living our lives as disciples. As I've been reading these stats and wrestling with them over the last few decades, I have to say they've been deeply disturbing to me. They've been, they've been messing with me again and again. And I started realizing probably about 10 or 15 years, I'm like, you know what, I, I think I've been playing it safe. I mean, it, for me, sharing my faith has been a passion ever since I became a Christ follower, and yet I see that trend even in me, right? I see that trend happening where I'm like, you know what, I'm not, I'm not so sure that I'm sharing as much as I used to. I'm not so sure that my evangelistic temperature isn't lower than it used to be. And I'm like, man, something has to be done. I think I've played it safe. And I think we as a church have played it safer than maybe we should. And I think maybe we as the church in our county has played it way too safe. And the church in Illinois and the church in our country, I think we've been just sort of lulled into apathy. Sort of lulled into thinking everything's fine. Well, there's some mega churches here and there, right? Things are going fine. But I think if we would step back and look at the data, if we would, were to put our ear down to scripture and hear the call of Jesus, I think he, he's trying to wake us to life and align us back on mission and send us out to impact the world. Passion for those that are far from God. Passion to see the message spread. Passion to see the gospel proclaimed has always consumed God's heart. It's always consumed the hearts of his people, of real disciples of Jesus Christ. Listen to a few of these scriptures. Jesus uh, in Luke 19.10, sort of gives his mission statement when he says this. He says, for the Son of Man, which comes from Daniel, but it's like Jesus' favorite sort of nickname for himself. He says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save the lost. He's like, I'm here on a mission. What's my mission? It's to help lost people find new life and freedom and the love of God in Jesus Christ. Right? I came to save them. I came to rescue them. I came to bring them back home to God. It's his heart. It's his mission. It's why he came the first time. It's why he died, right? To bring us back home to the Father. His purpose and his passion was for the lost, to bring them back home to God. And you can see it in his teaching all over the place as he's talking to his disciples, as he's teaching his followers how they should live. He says things like this, uh, Matthew 4, 19, he's calling one of the disciples, and this is the call narrative. So this is right when he's actually calling him, hey, come and follow me, come and, come and be my disciple. He says this, uh, 4, 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. <laughs> Even when he's calling them, he's saying, come and follow me, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to send you right back out. I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to transform you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to change your life, and I'm going to send you back out to, make, to impact those around you. Matthew 5, 14 through 16, uh, teaching portion where Jesus is saying this. You, he's saying to his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. No, of course not. Instead, they put it on a stand so it can give light to everybody in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and that they may glorify your Father in heaven. It's unthinkable, Jesus is saying, that you wouldn't let others know, that you wouldn't let others see, that you wouldn't tell them about the life that's available to them through Christ. 
You are a light that shines for me, Jesus says. So go and shine. Go through your words, through your actions, right? Let me be seen in your life. Let me be heard in your words so that people can see your life. They can see your good deeds. They can see how you're living. They can, and they can know that you belong to my Father. They can know that, that God's crazy about them, that he has a plan for them, that he is calling and working to bring them home. Let your life be lived to that end. And one more we shared about this last week, right? This is classic great commission. This is Jesus' final words to his followers, kind of commissioning them and sending them out. He says this. This is, this is uh, to, to the first disciples. It's also to us. Says, then Jesus came and said to them, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Friends, the Bible is unbelievably clear that God is crazy about people that are far from him. So much so that even the religious leaders, in sort of a derogatory and negative way, coined this term for him, that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? You're, oh, Jesus, if you knew the kind of person that was washing your feet, you'd put the smack down. Oh, Jesus, he's, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But you know what? Jesus seemed to wear that as a badge of honor. Why? Because that's why he came. He came to love and to point back home people that were far from, home, far from the Father, people that were desperately in need of forgiveness, people that needed hope and life, people that were aware of their own need. They were aware that they were down here and God was up here. Jesus like, those are the people that I've come for. And so he tells his followers, now Go. Go, right? Reach them. Go shine your light. Go make disciples. Point them back home to the Father. Let them know that he's crazy about them, that he died to save them. If you and I are followers of Christ, then we too are going to live our lives in a way that, that lives out that passion for Christ's mission, that passion for those that are far from God. There is no such thing as a disciple that is not living out the mission of Jesus. Spurgeon once said, uh, a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter, right? Every Christian, a Christ follower is either a missionary, like they are living out the mission of Jesus in this world, or they're an imposter. There's no such thing as, so, as a disciple that is not living out the mission of Jesus. Romans 10 uh, puts, oh, wow, in focus. This is my next slide, encouraging you to focus. <laughs> Be in focus with the mission of Jesus. Uh, Romans 10 uh, puts it this way. This is the New Living Translation, which I just think is, is I love how, how they kind of put this. Romans 10, 13 through 14 says, for everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? What's the implied answer? They can't, right? So there's, there's this sort of urgency that builds in the passage in Romans 10 as you get to it. And at the end, kind of the point of it, what he's saying is, who's responsible for telling them? Say me. Me, me right? It, there's this urgency. How in the world can the world hear and know and find new life in Christ if you don't tell them? If I don't tell them, there's a mission that you and I have been called to. 
It's Romans 10. It's that you and I are called to live for Christ and to shine the light of Christ and to point and to welcome and to tell and to share and to love and to everything we can to help people come back home and find new life through Christ. Well, I'm about halfway through my message, but I will just kind of jump in at this point and say we're on week number two, right, of a series uh, that we're doing here at Ignite called Passionate Christianity, and it's really about what, what is a disciple? That's what this whole series is about. What does it look like to live as a follower of Christ? What does it look like to be a disciple is the biblical word. It's the word that gets used. It's not a word we use a lot in our culture unless it's usually in a derogatory sort of term. It's a negative. And so we're kind of stepping back and saying, how would I know if I am one? What's involved? in being a disciple in this day and age. What does that look like? What does that mean? Last week, we started out and we said, well, the main thing, right, and this is 90% of the ball game probably, a disciple, we said, is a passionate follower of Jesus. It's somebody that is just crazy in love with him, that has been, uh, had their life come right side up, that has put their faith and trust in him. They have, you know, they love him, they worship him, they want to be with him, they're pursuing him, right, all this kind of stuff. They're, they're people that are passionately following and loving and worshiping and being with Jesus. He said, man, that's, that is the deal. If, if I could, uh, it's one of the reasons that we use the term passionate followers, right, of, of Jesus in, in, in the place of disciples, because I think that's probably a closer definition, passionately following Jesus. Today, obviously, I'm taking it the next step, and I'm saying disciples, anytime you see the word disciple in the Bible, there's always this connection to people that are passionately living out the mission of Jesus, that are passionately reaching out to those outside of God's family and helping to love and, and serve and point them back home uh, to Jesus and to tell as well. So that's kind of what, what we're focusing in on today. You know, the early church, uh, you know, obviously lived this stuff out. The, so many of the, the, uh, the passages we just read were written from those early church leaders. But even as you read through the book of Acts, uh, which is sort of the history uh, of the early church, kind of tells the story from the point that Jesus was taken up into heaven through the, the establishment of the early church, you can see it was multiplying. There were Christ followers that were just popping up everywhere. And you can even see the, the early church persecution broke out, which is kind of a fancy word to say they were uh, arresting people, killing people, whatever, beating people for being Christians. They were being, I mean, it was a terrible kind of deal. But, but this persecution comes on the church. The church scatters throughout the region because in Jerusalem they were getting killed. They were getting whatever. And so they, this, they scatter. And everywhere they scatter, you know what happens? New churches pop up, which means people were finding Jesus. They were meeting Jesus. They were putting their faith in Jesus. They were hearing the gospel. They were seeing it lived out in these Christians' lives that were fleeing and going all over and all over the place. You see Christians popping up. You see churches popping up. Why? Because that's the norm. That's what disciples do. They were so consumed and enamored with Jesus, right? They just couldn't shut up about him. They couldn't quit talking about how great he was. They couldn't quit talking about what he had done in their lives. And so everywhere they went, they were sharing their faith and more and more and more and more and more people were meeting Jesus, were growing in Jesus. The church was growing like wildfire. They just couldn't shut up about him. Let me hit the pause button for a second and say, how about you? How about you? Would you say that's the case for you? These How would you evaluate your own temperature in terms of living on mission with Jesus? Would you say that your life is so consumed by Christ, by his goodness and his grace, 
so consumed by his presence in your life, so enamored about what he had done for you and for the world that you just can't shut up about him. Would you say that's the norm for you? Man, I'm, I'm talking about him all the time. When was the last time that you were just so in love with Christ, so enamored with him that it just sort of spilled out of your mouth into conversation with people that are outside the family of God? Is that happening more and more and more for you? Are you following that curve that we talked about before? That just like I'm having them less and less and less and less and less. Well, if you are, you know, low to medium, even to like medium high, and you have room for improvement, I think you're in the right place today. <laughs> Hopefully up until this point from these scriptures, from kind of some, some of what I shared, have you felt the urgency? Have you, have, you, have you heard the call of Jesus saying, you know, I have a mission for you. Saying, I have called you to be a missionary. I've called you to live on mission with me. I've called you to be the light of the world. I have called you to make disciples in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your home, <laughs> everywhere you go at the, at the supermarket. I have called you to, to shine my light and to point people back home to the Father. I hope by this point you have heard this, you have felt some of the urgency. And so in the time we've got left, I'm gonna hit kind of three practical sort of steps of what that might actually look like in today's day and age. Right, what that might look like in your life, in my life, in our world. And uh, yeah, this is kind of for the non-Billy Graham types, right? The non-superstar non evangelist types. This is, this is sort of what it looks like to live on mission for regular, ordinary people like you and me. Okay, three things we're just gonna walk through kind of quickly. The first one is this, it, I'm just gonna put it this way, develop friendships for Christ, there's an example that I love that always makes me think of this uh, from the New Testament. In Luke 5, you can read about this sort of story where uh, Jesus goes out one day, he sees a tax collector by the name of Levi or Matthew, kind of depends, kind of those names are used somewhat interchangeably for the same person where he steps up and he says to this tax collector who is, uh, I mean, were tax collectors in that day and age, you guys have probably been around enough, is that, or were they known as like good people or bad people? Right, they were kind of seen as crooks, as thieves, as all that kind of stuff. Uh, they worked for kind of the enemy and they stole money and kind of finagled as much money as they could from their fellow citizens. It's not all that different than politicians these days, but I digress. Um, but uh, anyway, so they were not seen of as very good, but, and Jesus walks up to this guy who was clearly outside of the family of God at that point, somebody that was very far from God. He walks up to Matthew, and he says to him, follow me, sort of a call to come and be his disciple. He says, follow me. And uh, Matthew's comrades uh, probably thought he had lost his mind, but to everybody's surprise, he slides the chair back, right? He stands up from behind his tax collector's booth, kind of leaves the cash register open, if you will, and walks off and follows Jesus. You read on throughout the story and you can see Matthew's life gets transformed. I mean, he's, as he's following Jesus, he is coming to life. He's, he is clearly becoming a disciple of Jesus and he is learning, he's in awe and amazed at the teachings of Jesus, at the heart of Jesus, at the life of Jesus, and he truly becomes his follower. Well, not, not long later, uh, Matthew starts uh, thinking about what Christ has done in his own life. And he starts remembering all of those friends of his that were back at the tax booth, friends that uh, were outside the family of God, friends that were living, in some, some cases, I'm sure, very, very, very far from God. 
And he starts thinking, man, if only they could experience what I've experienced. If only they could come to know Jesus the way I've come to know Jesus. And so, uh, he, you know, again, at this point, Matthew's very young in his faith. He probably hasn't had a chance to memorize all the right Bible verses. He doesn't really know how to pray out loud. He doesn't have, uh, you know, the proper tracks memorized. He hasn't been through training. He hasn't done any of this kind of stuff. Uh, but he thinks, what can I do to help introduce these lost friends of mine to Jesus? And so you know what he does? He throws a party. <laughs> he throws a party, and he invites all of his lost friends, and he invites Jesus and some of the other disciples to come and hang out together. And he's like, I don't know, let's invite them, let's invite Jesus, and let's see what happens, you know, kind of stuff. Can you, uh, now, some of us in the room might be, might be thrilled to discover that we can live out the mission of Jesus by throwing a party. Is that not cool? Is that good news? <laughs> like, woo right? I mean, but, there's, but the, he just sort of introduces relationship. He builds relationship with those that are far from God with other Christ followers and with him and with, with Jesus himself. And I just, I love the picture of that. And I think, man, some of us need to, to hear that and sort of be shaken awake a little bit to say, you know, we, many of us in the room have sort of stumbled into God's grace. We have experienced um, unbelievable kinds of life change. We have been freed from the past. We have discovered God's love, which we, which we clearly did not deserve. We have, we have been forgiven again and again and again. We've been given his spirit. We've been given purpose. We've, been, we've seen blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing in our lives. And some of us need to quit, quit hoarding that to some degree and just focusing on us and me and mine and my family. And we need to remember those outside the family of God. And we need to start moving towards them. Again, Jesus got accused of this all the time of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. If you read through scripture, you see it time and time and time and time and time and time again. He's hanging out with the people that need Jesus the most. I wonder if, if God is prompting, in fact, I'm not even going to wonder. He is, right? God is calling you. He is calling me to go and be a light. And that's going to require us moving sometimes out of our nice little comfortable, safe Christian lives and moving back out into the mission field, into the lives of those around us. That doesn't have to be throwing a party, although you could do that. Throw a party with a purpose, right? Pray, build relationship, take the relationships deeper, look and pray for opportunities for God to open the door for you to point people back home to the Father. Some of it is just doing life though, doing relationship well with those people that we work with, loving people well where we live, where we interact. Some of it is just being so consumed with Jesus and so filled with him and so loving towards others that it just naturally spills out of us. It's the 4th of July weekend, right? This is a great time. There's going to be people around probably. Some of those people are here with you today, right? There's, there's family and friends and whatever. Some of us, let's do relationship well. Let's love on people well. Let's, let's pray for and look for opportunities to take it just from friendship to actually being, having a chance to point people back home to the Father. It's the first step, right? Pretty straightforward. Uh, I think I'll, I better keep moving. Second thing, uh, I find this in scripture all over the place. Jesus is the master at this of just asking good questions, right? 
my frustration, oftentimes people will say that they, they do friendship evangelism. What they really mean is they do friendship. <laughs> but there comes a point like this is, you know, for the sake of our friends, for the sake of those around us, we want them to meet Jesus though too, right? It's not just let's have friends, but it's also like, hey, how can we help get to the bottom? How, how can we help open the door? How can we help uh, people even think about some of the issues they need to to, to get connected back with Jesus. And, and Jesus does this all the time where he just asks good questions. He pivots conversations. Uh, he's a master at this. He'd say things like this, and let me just throw some of these out here if I can. He, you got the next slide? There it is. He just asks questions. Are you thirsty? <laughs> Something real simple, and it would transition into conversation. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks. Do you want to get well? Fascinating conversation it comes from that. This is a great one. Why don't you give him something to eat, he says to his followers. It's a question. Remember, there's thousands of people that have gathered. He's like, why don't you give him, some, give him something to eat? Like, oh, I can't. Uh, this kind of thing. Does this offend you? Have I not chosen you? Women, where are they? Where are the people that have come to accuse you or condemn you? Do you believe, that the, do you believe in the Son of Man, man he asks. Who is it that you're looking for? Who is it that you want? Is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Or the last one, right? Do you love me? Yes. These are all questions and there's actually dozens and dozens and dozens more. Fascinating study to read through scripture, read through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just look at the way Jesus asks questions and uses them to take the conversation deeper, right? To pivot the conversation to things that actually matter from the weather and football and whatever else, <laughs> the stuff that actually matters, like people's hearts and souls and values and priorities, how they're doing, their families, whatever, Ask good questions. It's a way that we actually get to know people, not just superficially, but we can move the, the relationship and the conversation deeper into stuff that really matters. And of course, again, if we're living as passionate followers of Jesus, is that you think that'll spill out into conversation? Absolutely. I can remember one time, uh, in Wisconsin, I had a friend that I'd been, uh, building a relationship with for years and, uh, Remember, we were out doing something I can't even remember anymore, but we were in the car driving to get together someplace. And as we were uh, kind of talking, he was talking about some people at work that were just in it for money. They were just going after money, 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 money kind of stuff. And, uh, and he ends up saying, you know, he's like, I can't believe they're just living for money. That's so, it's so wrong. It's so like superficial. It's so whatever. And I had this little prompting in the back of my head. It's just the Holy Spirit kind of speaking. And I just asked him, I said, he's like, that's, he, well, he ended up by saying, that's not what life is about. And so I had this little prompting or just said, well, what do you think life is about? And it launched just this whole conversation. And to some degree, he was saying, I, I'm not really sure, but I'm pretty sure it's not money. I've watched, I've watched enough to know it's not money. And I had an opportunity right there to share with him about, about God's plan for his life. About, I got to share the good news about Jesus with him and point him back home to the Father. It's an opportunity that came about because God kind of prompted me to ask a question, just to listen and to have those kind of ears and just ask a question that takes it deeper. Ask a question that, that, that turns the conversation. And I'm not talking about manipulating or any kind of thing, but if we love God, if we have received from him and we love people, how could this stuff not spill out? How could we not care about people's souls, people's eternities, people's marriages and families and lives? Are you with me? How could we not? Oh boy, I'm running out of time. How about, uh, how about third one? Um, we'll say this, just share your story, share God's story. Um, and and I'm, what I'm going to say is they're really the same. <laughs> and so uh, that's why I kind of put them both in there.
But in our sort of relativistic society, our stories, I think, are one of the most effective tools that we have. People, a lot of times, are not super, uh, super excited about, super open to, super whatever. Sometimes the Bible, they're not super open to, to preaching or to church or to all these kind of things. Sometimes not so much. But you know what? People are pretty open to relationship and they're pretty open to hearing your perspective. And so to talk, for you to be able to talk about your story and what God has done in your life, friends, there's a huge open door to that. In fact, one study I read this week said that 68% of uh, unchurched people are amazed. They're shocked that their Christian friends don't talk more about Jesus. They're shocked. They're like, if, if he is who, he, who you say he is, why in the world wouldn't you talk more about him? It's sort of an invitation, sort of an invitation. There's a classic story in John 9 uh, where there's a blind guy that, uh, that Jesus heals. And it's sort of the religious leaders kind of get their underwear in a bunch. And I say that in church. But they kind of get their underwear in a bunch over this whole deal. And uh, because he healed them, he healed this blind guy on the Sabbath, right? And they're like, oh, you can't do that, right? You can't, you can't heal somebody. You can't do good for them on, that, on the Sabbath. And uh, so there's this whole thing. They have this big formal hearing. And so they, they call in the blind man. They're like, tell us what happened. And he tells them. And then they call in the, the, the guy's parents and said, now this is your son. He clearly could not have been born blind, was he? And they're like, yeah, he was. I don't, I don't really know what happened. They're like, he's old enough. Talk to him about it. So they call him back in and they say, look, we know Jesus is a sinner, they say. There's no way he could have done this. So explain to us. Explain to us how your eyes could have been opened, how you, you though you were blind, could, can now see. How, how did you find healing? What did you do? And, and this is what it says, John uh, 9, 25 um, through 33. I abbreviated a little bit here, but it says this. He replied, whether this Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know, he says. But one thing I do know. Oh, can, you, can you pull that next slide? Is it locked again? Seriously? Okay. <laughs> Just go with me. Uh, um, he says this, one thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see, he says. And the dialogue goes on a little bit, and the man answers the religious leaders. Now that is remarkable. You, uh, you don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Fascinating. This blind man was sort of sharing his faith. He shared his story with those that didn't know Jesus, those that were religious but didn't know Jesus. He didn't claim to know everything. He starts out by saying, you know what? I, I don't know if he's sinless or not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure on all the theology. I don't have all that down. He goes, but let me tell you my story. Here's my story. I was born blind and then I met Jesus and now I see, right? I, I was blind. That was my reality before I met him. Then Jesus healed me. He transformed me. And now from this point forward, I can see in every way. And he, he ends up by saying, basically, I'm his disciple. I'm his follower. I believe he's from God and I'm in. I'm his disciple. Sometimes telling our stories as simple as that can be the most powerful testimony there is. The, the most powerful door open. It's sharing what God has done in your life. Whether you know it or not, if, if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, if you are truly a Christ follower, then you have a story to share. You do. 
You have a story, and you might not think it's a, it's a fantastic story. It's, oh, I didn't get healed. I didn't, I didn't used to do drugs, so it's not much of a story. Or I didn't used to. It doesn't matter, but you have a unique story, and people around you need to hear it. They do. I mean, God has specifically placed you in situations, in workplaces, in neighborhoods, next to neighbors, whatever, next to coworkers that need to hear your story. And today, I just, want to, I just want you to hear the words of Jesus. Let your light so shine that those around you can see the way you live, see what Jesus has done in you, can be pointed back home and can glorify your Father. Let your light shine. Your story needs to be heard. There are people around you that will never end up at Ignite Church. They will never step foot inside of a church. We're seeing this more and more and more and more, but they will talk to you about Jesus. They will talk with you about Jesus. They will see your life. They'll come over to your house. The doors will be open. The opportunity is there for you to be a witness, for you to shine for Christ. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, uh, let, me, I wanna, let me share one story, and then I'll kind of wrap it up and close it. This is, I remember a number of years ago, um, there's a pastor out from California who shared uh, this story at a conference, and I, I mean, it just rocked my world. It was great. Uh, just remember, it's a guy by the name of Rick Warren, and he talks about this moment with his father towards the end of his father's life. His, his uh, dad was a minister for over 50 years, mostly in small rural churches. He was a simple preacher, he said, but he was a man on a mission. <laughs> he played out in all different kinds of ways. He, he used to go around the world and, and help build small churches in, in uh, rural and impoverished sort of areas. He, he built over 150 churches around the world during his lifetime. In 99, his, his dad died of cancer, and in the final week um, of his life, this disease sort of kept him awake 24 hours a day in sort of a semi-conscious state. And as he dreamed, he'd sort of talk out loud about whatever it was he was dreaming or thinking about, this kind of thing. He said, sitting beside his bedside, I learned a lot about my dad, just listening to his dreams. He relived one church building project after another after another. One night near the end, while my wife, my niece, and I were by his side, dad suddenly became very active and tried to get out of bed over and over. He tried to climb out, and he wasn't strong enough to actually stand, and so they sort of forced him to lie back down and forced him to lay, and he just kept get, trying to get up again and again and again, and finally they asked him, Jimmy, what are you trying to do? And he replied, he said this, just, just one more, just, just one more, got to reach one more for Jesus. Got to save one more for Jesus. He began to, to try and get up, and he just repeated this phrase over and over and over. He says, during the next hour, he repeated the phrase probably a hundred different times. Just one more for Jesus. He says, as I sat there by his bed with tears flowing down my cheeks, I bowed my head to thank, thank God for my dad's life, for his faith. And at that moment, dad reached out, sort of placing his frail hand on my head and said, as if commissioning me, reach one more for Jesus. Just, just one more for Jesus. He ends by saying, you know what? I want to live my, the rest of my life to that end. 
I want to live the rest of my life on that mission. And that makes sense, doesn't it? It's an inverted sort of picture of what we talked about earlier, where, where a real faith inhabits a person's body. And day by day by day by day, right, they grow in love for God and they grow in, in love for others so much so that at the last moment of their life, they're at their evangelistic high, right? Never have they been so passionate as they are at that moment to see more and more and more people come to know Christ. Friends, isn't that how you and I are called to live? Isn't that the life of a disciple? It is. That's the life that is modeled by the early church, that's commanded from the lips of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but it's the one I want to, it's the one I want to live. Would you take that step this week? Would you build some relationships? Would you start investing your one and only life, stepping outside of our little church, you know, Christian bubble a little bit, coming out to people that need that need desperately to know the hope and the life and the freedom that's only found in Christ? Would you build some relationship? Would you throw some parties? Would you invite some people over? Would you whatever? Would you ask some questions? And would you pray? And as God opens the door, would you, would you point people back home to the Father sharing your story and God's story? Let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that you would impassion us. Lord, forgive us for so often um, just living a, our own comfortable little lives and our own self-focused lives. Lord, we want to live as, as you would have us live. We want to live our lives as disciples. And so, God, would you come and would you consume us with an all-consuming passion for you? We open up our hearts, we open up our lives, and we just say, we need you, Jesus. Would you come and fill us? Would you lead us and guide us? Would you be our God? And, Lord, as, as we step into that with you, that relationship with you, we say we want to live out your mission. Today, as we go from here, God, would you specifically open our eyes to the opportunities around us? Would you, would you help us to, to build relationships intentionally, reaching out to people that we love and that we know or that are around us, but not just being content with just friendship, but God, would you, would you give us eyes to see opportunities you're giving us? Would you place questions in our own hearts and souls that we can ask? And as we do life, as we go deeper with people, God, would you open up chance after chance after chance after chance to point people back to you? share with them what a great God you are to share with them about a Savior named Jesus who came for the likes of us and not just us but for every person in our eyes God would you draw people into your kingdom would you grow your church would you sweep through this region like wildfire would you bring dozens singles and dozens and hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of people into your kingdom. And Lord, while tens of thousands are too much for us, would you help us to live and and to to be faithful to that end one day at a time, to reach one more for Jesus, to share with one more about Jesus. Just consume our hearts, God. Consume our passions. Lead us and guide us for your glory and for our good and for the good of the world. We pray in Jesus' name.